1: Hi, I'm Dominic Hatton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is our first episode of our new season, remotely, obviously, of Deadline Podcast TV Talk.
2: And today we're going to be discussing, oh, guess what, the upcoming Emmy season. What's changed? What to expect for this year's Emmys? A lot of changes uh, everywhere in the industry, and uh, the Emmys are not... Immune to that and then you're going to hear a snippet of my conversation
1: with darren chris from the new netflix show hollywood which is pure hollywood in many ways it's a throwback to the golden age with a little bit of an old history as you could tell from from all of us talking about it but pete let's let's really get into the heart of this clearly we are in in um the middle of social distancing virtual and remote everything this podcast included um, and everything is kind of ground to a halt in Hollywood. I hear there's still production in Iceland and South Korea, and they're slowly gearing up things in places like Australia and various other places, but there is really nothing happening for the most part. So with no no live FYC series, deadline for instance, guys both Pete and I have been doing them, we're doing virtual screening series, things like that. How do we have an award in such a
2: time as uh, this? Uh, How do we have an award season? Actually, I have to say that uh, the television award season going on right now, the Emmys, is the easiest one to pull off. What you have that you haven't had in past Emmy seasons even uh, is a plus uh, for, I think, the Emmys in the sense of uh, actually having people available to actually watch the shows. They are a captive audience in their home and they are seeing these shows like they've never seen them before. So I think the actual participation of what the Emmy should be about, actually seeing what you're, what you're voting on, is increased in a big way. And I don't know how we quantify that, but I think it's an important thing for the Emmys that may produce some surprises because people are actually seeing what they're voting for.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, look, I'm not going to disagree with you on that because this is the first episode of our new season and I have decided that Pete and I are going to start off being in agreement about stuff for one. Oh, really? But what I will disagree is what I will... Don't, don't hold me to it too long, my friend. You got, you, got nine, you got nine seconds of agreement. What I will disagree with you about, here, and I'm surprised that you take the opinion you do because you are a very social person, is that part of what the Emmys are all about is as much as they are about... Um, analyzing and accessing and, and, and discovering the, the, the shows and the performances and the, and, and the direction and the writing, they are also very much a social event. Um, you know, I am amazed on the occasions when I go out for things like groceries or even a, a bit of a run or anything like that, the lack of those FYC billboards that just seem to me to have become part of the landscape of Los Angeles over the past de- few decades. They're just absent absent and the people not meeting at say uh cinemas or the dga or other people's or all the little side events that people have sometimes for below the line um individuals and others the absence of that feels to me to be such such a deviation from where we have been before and it just feels to me like this isn't really happening if you know what i mean
2: yeah i i agree with you uh with the billboards because traffic's down and i think uh Campaigners, consultants are looking at that, although Netflix, of course, owns half the billboards in LA, for instance, and uh, they're going to have to do something with those as we get closer. Remember, we're two and a half months away from voting or whenever it's happening this year, uh, the Academy. Um, So the season is just revving up in that sense, as we are with this podcast. But I do think uh, this is definitely affecting the ability of getting eyeballs on those billboards around town. The social aspect of it, yeah, is completely gone, all of that. Um, And, uh, you know, I'm not so sure with a a group of 25,000 voters at the Emmys that, you know, the same people that show up for all of these FYCs and things around town and all the Netflix things and the parties, a lot of them go for the food, let's
1: face it. They go for that. Look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm barely old enough to not think if there's free food and wine that you have to show up. Let's not. Oh, that's let's true. none of us. None of us cast a upon those. That is clearly a case of let ye without sin cast the first stone. But Yeah, no, I, but but you're right. But I mean, but that's a, but that's, that's a, I mean, I think you've actually really got to the heart of what I was talking about, which is that, you know, for so many members of the Academy um, who aren't necessarily in the heart of, production or 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 you know or the what's going on in the industry these occasions these things up at the television academy or at the DGA or various other places that, that, that I mentioned you know that gives them an opportunity they get to not only see a particular show that they may or may not see but they get to hear from a particular star or director or showrunner or someone and that really gives them a sense of what they're interested in going forward voting. And I know, as you know you mentioned consultants. I know consultants. I know streamers. I know networks. I know studios. They rely on that. You know, it's kind of like they're, those, those people are kind of, they're the flyover voters, for lack of a better expression. And they are a big part of any Emmy campaign, winning them over. I mean, I remember years ago, years ago, you educated me so much in Ben Affleck's successful Oscar campaign, where right. essentially... Ben would show up for the opening of an envelope, but he did it every night and every afternoon with the same enthusiasm as he did on day one. And when it came around to voting, Affleck was the man because that people felt, everyone felt, I met Ben Affleck. He heard me tell him about the movie, the this, the that, and I connected with the guy. I love him. I'm going to vote for him. That just isn't part of the cards this year. It's not part of this house of cards at all.
2: Well, we're looking at uh, what you're talking about, and you're right in that sense. Is energized voters, uh, people that are actually going to spend the time uh, to tell their friends. These serve as word of mouth too. They're seeing something, they spread it around, and and it starts going beyond that audience that's there meeting them. But also to actually vote. So these are the people we can say are reliable voters as well in the Emmys. They're they're energized in the whole process and all of that and uh you know it's interesting this year too dominic and i have Mm. to say first i was going like oh really i don't know i don't know if you should do it's not good for the older voters this is the first year we don't have physical screeners i you know not a one has arrived here because they banned them and i'm wondering if that's going to have any effect at all people are at home in the television business it's all on tv anyway and you can access it Yeah. People counted on them. A lot of people counted on them because they're still not into how to
1: download and how to get this. Well, true. That that's true. But but I think we've all learned in the past several weeks. I mean, a I'm a very glad that 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 I don't have a giant pile of shows that I've already seen. Um, and in, in the case of my house, double a giant pile of, of shows that we've already seen. They're now basically become glorified door stoppers in my house. That's good. Good for the environment, which is great. Um, but also I think that in the past several weeks, we've all seen it, both in our professional and personal lives, how people have adjusted and how they've worked with the, the, the technologies that are available for them to work, to communicate, to be a part of communities. So I think in that sense, this screenerless um, Emmy season, talking just about the Emmys, of course, is, is, is actually an advantage right now during, during just pandemic, because People are becoming they just became much more tech savvy because they had to, as opposed to all those years of, you know, someone, you know, I mean, we all have members of our family or something who pass their phone to one of us. Like when they they're like, I don't know how this works. Can you show me? Whereas now they're having to learn because the only way they can talk to their bank, their son, their daughter, their this, their that. It's part of who we are during this. And I, I think that that's a powerful permanent change. But I do, I, with all the, you know, dates are changed. Uh, we're going to find out all sorts of things going through um, the next couple months. And, of course, as the, as the town reopens, as whatever form that takes, it's going to be a very, very different Emmy campaign. And I'm not even talking about, like, when we get to things like the Oscars, where rule changes are now, are now you know, giving the streamers um, uh, placements that they never had before, et cetera, et cetera. It's all brave new world out there. And I wonder, and this is something I think we're going to discuss a lot this season, I wonder how much of this we're going to just, this is going to be the way it is from now on going forward. Because I think a lot of change has come, and some of the change people can't wait to get rid of, and some of it, that I think they're going to realize, actually, you know what, that's a better way of doing things. Yeah, I think
2: it may be, you know, I mean, uh, like I wrote about last week with all the Motion Picture Academy uh, changes because of the season, as you mentioned, streamers and the VOD eligibility and all that, that they had to do. They had no way around that. They had to do that this year because just it's a mess. Um, But they also announced that this is the last year for physical screeners. For that. And I think that's a different issue. I, I, you know, the Academy has a like stringent requirements on their uh, platform, viewing platform now that has passed a lot of litmus tests for for major features that are in theaters. Hopefully they're theaters. Um, that's different than the Television Academy dropping them. Uh, and, I, you know, so we'll see how that affects uh the Motion Picture Academy going forward and all this stuff, too. But with the uh, race, I think you're right to what you just said. I think there are going to be permanent changes that are going to come out of this. People get used to things a certain way. The bigger question, though, uh, you know, that the Oscars are even talking about what's going to happen in February for the Oscars. But what's going to happen in September for the Emmy show itself? Are we looking at Emmys? I mean, is this possible? I mean, we're, we're I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, I
1: think, I think people don't know right now, but if you were to do a, if you were to do some percentages, I think a virtual Emmys right now is looking like 45, 55, like it's, it's a very tight decision because, you know, as, as various health officials said to people, yes, we've got, this is a first wave. It may or may not have peaked yet. Um, we might see some relief during the summer, but come going into the fall, we could see this again. And maybe, maybe—I mean, this is America. I'm going to say maybe we will have learned a lesson or two from this one, and maybe we'll be a bit more preemptive. And I think the Emmys is going to be right at the forefront of how that's going to work in this town. Right at the forefront. I think so too. You
2: know, I go to the Emmys uh, every year, and I can't. Imagine. Yes, we should always tell,
1: We should always tell people that. Pete's the one who takes it for the team on September. (laughs) I I go to the parties, but Pete takes it for the team.
2: I go to those parties afterward too, but I go to the Emmys, and that is wall. And I'm not kidding. Wall to wall people. You're touching. You are so close in that lobby at the Microsoft, and then going down to the Governor's Ball afterwards. It is just solid humanity. And uh, that's going to be something that they're not going to be able to do. They're really going to have to make some changes in that. Now, imagine the HBO party. How does that oh, yeah. happen? That's another one where, you know, Hollywood cannot exist in the way they have uh, at this particular time. And they're going to, if they're going to have them at all, uh, with any semblance of what they were, they're really going to have to uh, rethink that part of it.
1: That's very true. Now, I'm talking about rethinks. I believe you had a chat with Mr. Darren Chris
2: not too long ago. I did. Darren Chris, who, of course, is an Emmy winner, speaking of the Emmys, for the assassination of Gianni Versace. Um, and uh, he is now playing a uh, new director in Hollywood in the 40s. Uh, in uh, Ryan Murphy's latest uh, limited series, Hollywood, which I really liked. Uh, you know, I, I, it, it reminded me of Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in
1: Hollywood. Oh, my of- God, it was nothing like that. Uh, we're, not, we're, we're not, going, we're go- we are going to agree. We, in your introduction to your interview, we are going to agree to disagree. You can hear what Pete says. You can watch my review. We don't yeah. see this the same.
2: Yes. Okay. You can do all that, but I really like the retroness of it and and mixing fact and fiction. That's what Tarantino did with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's what that show you really like on HBO, uh, uh, The Plot Against America, uh, also does. Um, it's true. This does seem to be, and I think you'll agree with me. Are our nine seconds of harmony already over, Dominic? I think. Yeah. You will agree with me um, that it's an interesting uh, kind of trend right now, and uh, and it gives us food for thought. And so, I talked about all of this with Darren Chris uh, in a virtual interview, right from his home to mine. And uh, let's take a look at some of what happened there. Brian Murphy, uh, who produced Glee, and mm-hmm. produced. American Crime Story, the Gianni Versace, uh, for which you won all those awards, and now has produced Hollywood, of which I think you are also an executive producer. Is that right? That's sir? correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great mini-series. Yeah. I've seen the whole thing. I watched it. Oh my god! I didn't want it to end, Darren. I, this was right up my alley, and, and I, I've been dying to hear what you. I've been dying to find out what you thought of this show, even if you didn't like it.
0: I, I want to hear all like. There's so many things that well, we'll get some cocktails in both of us and then I'll, <laughs> I'll get into that brainy earth. But I'm well, so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah,
2: it's so good. And it's so I mean, you know, I told Ryan Murphy, who had sent it to me originally, he was just curious. And, uh, you know, it's his Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's an interesting little mini trend going on here of rewriting history. And in this case, sort of like, what if? What if things were like this in the 40s? How would our whole lives be changed? Are these lives? It's a great concept. And all of you, I mean, the acting across the board in this is so exceptional. And
0: You, you know, it's, what's, there's so many things about the show that I've realized in just the, the, the past few days talking about the show so much. One, you were saying this kind of what-if, revisionalist, factional uh, retelling of the 1940s. What's so funny is that, you know, when we watch it, we're giving 1940s Hollywood the 1940s Hollywood treatment through the eyes of 2020. So if in the 40s, there's already this elevated sense of distant world, like if you know you lived in a poor uh, poor part of the country or the world, you watch these movies with glamorous people saying the perfect lines and the perfect clothes, this was already elevated fantasy. Yes, there was an upper class some in the coastal places wherever. However, it was already elevated. So what's funny is that we are elevating the elevation. We are giving, like, it, in the 40s, already, it already sort of was what if. So mm-hmm. it was just not really talking about the sort of murky underbelly of prejudice and fear and, and repression and all these things. The other thing that I realized was, was pretty ironic is that this show is coming out in a time where, you know, if, if the classic movies of the 40s, sort of around and just after the war were this source of escapism for not only the United States, but for the rest of the world. And, and, you know, Hollywood was the poster child for, you know, the dream escape, so to speak. Uh, it's, it's wild because they were servicing millions of people who needed a place to, to, to feel something else, right? right. And especially in America, and I, 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 I'm not including, you know, parts of, of, of Eastern Asia and, um, and, and Europe. In America, it was kind of this invisible enemy, you know? I mean, you'd see things in the news and boys would go off to war, but you know, you didn't have really television yet. So there was this invisible thing. Um, obviously I can't compare the, the destitution of World War II to the pandemic now, but in the same way that there is this sort of pandemic of chaos outside, there is an invisible enemy that we're all fighting and scared of and getting through and it's hurting our economy and it's making us question a lot of systems that that have been in place for a while. You know, Hollywood is a show about Hollywood that <laughs> serviced the same thing, is servicing the same sort of um, trials and tribulations of now, where we are all fighting this invisible enemy and searching for a place to escape and dream about another world. And I, I just couldn't believe it, that it, it just, the layers of meta-ness to the show just are infinite. And uh, yeah. anyway, that's my, that's my spiel.
2: I love the fact that it mixed fact, real people that we know, and fictional people. You're playing one of them. Uh, but a director who is probably very familiar in, in Hollywood history, did you do any kind of, did you base him on anybody that you might have uh, looked at? or? Yeah, ranked? I think it's... It's yeah. Raymond Ainsley is is a young, you know,
0: very ambitious director, like any young visionary would be. I mean, you one, you know, Ryan would remind me of a young Steven Spielberg. But if you think of a young, I mean, P. T. Anderson was Christ. He was like in his, he was like mid early twenties. It was insane when that guy started. Um, Fellini. A lot of these guys, when they're young, you think less about the specificity of a young director and more of the youthful idealism of anybody who wants to dream about anything. He just happens to be a director. Um, it made me think of two things. One, I I thought about how many guys were there like Raymond that we don't know about because they weren't as resilient and they maybe had a bigger chip on their shoulder about being biracial or, in other people's cases in the show, queer of a certain age and all the other hangups ups that, that the 1940s society was kind of pushing against. People ask a lot of the characters on a show, a lot of the actors, are, is this based on anybody real? And my answer is it might be. It's just maybe history wrote them out or they wrote themselves out because of their own fear. There's so many things where you go, these are fictional characters. But that's because we just don't know if these they could have and they may have been written out. And the last thing I'll say is the one person who I really think subconsciously, maybe both Ryan and myself, um, yeah. be responsible for this subconsciously i think there is a whole bunch of ryan murphy and raymond Ainsley. here is a person who uses film and television or the camera as a as a form of uh, a social justice as a vehicle for changing the culture for not taking what's at face value what's right in front of you but seeing and crashing past it and in so doing inviting others a, a, around you who you are an advocate for, who have also been historically marginalized. And, um, you know, it's it's basically wanting to, yes, create art, but doing it for a higher calling. And there's a much higher social justice um, uh, drive behind the things he does, which is exactly what Ryan Murphy has been doing his entire career.
2: Yeah, this really sums it up. I got a chance to talk to Janet Mock. Um, and uh, it's extraordinary. You know, we were talking about... You know, what he's made happen here um, in, in television, everywhere, you know, even with you going back to Glee and and the relationship you had on that show was, was groundbreaking in many ways. And then beyond that, and Gianni, and now in this show, and I think people are really going to see that, you know. So you're now working as an EP as well and, and, and getting a little more involved in the whole Ryan Murphy of it all here, huh?
0: Yeah, well, I'll tell you the kind of nexus of everything. We um, I, we had a sort of victory laps uh, drinks uh, about end end of 2000 and I want to say 18. And, uh, you know, we were, we, it's very rare that I get a private audience with Ryan. It was a very gracious attempt to to do that. And we it wasn't an official meeting of anything. It was honestly just to let our hair down and gab about all the fun things that are to gab about. And, uh, you know, of course, a couple of drinks in, you kind of talk about, things you might want to do things. I'm working on things he's working on with uh, it was zero agenda. And then honestly, I just, I said, you know what, if we worked on something, what are the things you're looking for? Give me, give me some words. Cause I have plenty of things in my back pocket and I'm pretty busy, but I only want to do it if it's something that you think is cool. And he said, I really want to do something with you. That's hopeful, um, young and, um, period. And I immediately was like, Oh, well, I, 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 brought up a bunch of different famous characters and people from the 1940s Hollywood scene. Um it's it's a it's a genre that everybody loves. I have to tell you the past several months, without even saying what the plot was of Hollywood, I would say, oh I'm working on this 1940s Hollywood thing. And people go, oh oh I just love that period of time. It's my favorite the clothes, the music, the cigarette, oh God, it's just the best. And it's like I haven't even told you what it's about. People (laughs) love it because 1940s Hollywood is almost as if it was its 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 own genre. It's not even a period. It's it has its own mythology with its own archetypal characters, with its own tropes of things that happen to a lot of people, particularly at that time in that place. That I I liken it to that of Greek mythology or Marvel superhero universes, where you have these sort of oh, did you hear the one about so and so? You know, they used to blah blah blah. Oh, I heard that. Did you hear the one about you know everybody especially Hollywood buffs has their version of them, whether they're apocryphal or not, we, we kind of love the the tales of these people. So just bringing up that world is one that I think we were both interested in. And we, I was interested in the the dichotomy between, you know, fractured people being dropped off in one of the most glamorous times in, in the Hollywood industry, because it's now about roughly 20 years old, you have guys being uh, discharged from the army, from the Navy, having seen just hell and that, but now they're in the most glamorous place with the most glamorous cars. And, and just what that does to somebody when you have a fractured core, but a glamorous exterior, which is exactly what 1940s Hollywood is. And the thing that Ryan and I have always loved, but particularly Ryan, of all the themes that he explores in his shows, while he's always pushing for uh, social issues to be talked about and acknowledged and hopefully changed for the better, he has always looked at these stark dichotomies between. If you take something really beautiful, what are the things that are fractured and ugly about them underneath? That that uh, kind of makes you question what this is. Or conversely, like with Versace, something that's very ugly. Where is the where are the redeeming qualities? What are the where is the beauty? Where is the relatability to these people? So you know, having those things be on top of each other, that polarity and that dichotomy is so embodied in the very infrastructure of 1940s Hollywood that we just started going off. And then he, he pitched it literally the next day. He told me they, they, they bought our, our show. And I went our geez, I was just riffing with you. And he was very gracious to offer me an exec producer role to which I actually said, Hey man, like you're, I didn't invent the forties. And I didn't invent 1940s. I didn't invent Hollywood. This is your thing. Do you mind if I do my own thing on it? I said, of course you're Ryan Murphy. This will be brilliant. And uh, when he offered to me, I said, I, you know, I'm okay and he said don't be an idiot take the producer credit uh, to which of course I was glad to but I think it was just goodwill from his part as as far as just being like I know we talked about this initially but I was included on some early um, creative conversations and he was very receptive to my input but for the most part I kept my my hands off the wheel and let Ryan be his brilliant self and scene
1: <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this first episode of this season of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk Now make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you want to hear your podcast so you never miss an episode this season of our weekly show because we are back. And of course, you
2: can find all of our Emmy breaking news coverage at Deadline.com.
1: So thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.
2: Bye bye.